You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. I don't know about you, but uh, I grew up. Uh, I, I grew up in a Christian household, and so I grew up in church. And um, in fact, I joked that you know I took my naps under the third pew on the left there, um, just because that was just the way of life for us growing up. And I heard countless sermons about the return of Jesus. And I remember as a little kid thinking, not yet, not yet. I've got too much I will live for, you know, and you know, you, you know that feeling though, like, I don't know if you're, if you're like me, but I remember when I was nine years old and I just wanted to be 10 because then it was double digits, you know, one and a zero. And, and that was, you live for that. That's what you pointed to. Everything was around just, oh, I just want to live to 10. And then I was, you know, then you get to be 10. It's like, okay, this is no real big deal. But all right, 13. Now, 13, that's the thing. Because now you're a teenager. And so 13 is everything. And, oh, I can't wait to be. I'm 13. And, and, and then that arrives, and that's okay. But, but now it's 16. Uh, I can get my license. I can drive. And, well, then it's 18. And, uh, well, then it's like, all right. God, you know, Jesus, you can't come back yet because I'm not married. I want to be married, you know, for obvious reasons. And, you know, and then when you get married and then it's, all right, I want kids. And then we have kids and, wait, now I want to walk my daughter down the aisle. And, you know, and so there's all these life events that, Jesus, you can't come back yet. I'm not quite done living life uh, as I see it uh, here. I'm not quite ready to go. No, but you know, in recent years, though, um, in times of quiet reflection, I have found myself wondering, will the day come when I am ready to go? Well, that day came for a man in the New Testament named Simeon. In fact, he was the old man that we just saw in the little video clip that was here. In Luke chapter 2, we find, and Luke is writing this out, in Luke chapter 2, Jesus is born. Um, and there's a whole story about that. And then um, we're told that on the eighth day, he was circumcised. And, uh, and that's just part of the ritual and traditions um, for Jewish uh, children, uh, especially boys at that time. In verse 22, then, as the story continues on, Luke goes on to tell us that when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, took Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So it talks about when the time came for the purification rites. Um, now, we know about this from Leviticus chapter 12. Again, so this has been traditions that have been going on for generation after generation after generation. Hundreds of years, there has been this practice by all Jewish families. The purification happened after 40 days after the birth. So 40 days after the birth of the boy. Now, um, it actually was 80 days after the birth of a girl. Don't ask me why. Um, there's all kinds of speculation. We really, the Bible doesn't tell us. Leviticus is going to explain why it's longer for boys or why it's longer for girls and boys. There's all kinds of speculation. No one really knows. But for a boy, we have very clear evidence then, our very clear instruction that 40 days after the birth is the day or is the time period for purification. Now, in order to, for that purification to happen, the family, the parents were supposed to bring a lamb and a dove to sacrifice. That was the requirement. Now, a provision was made for poor people. If they couldn't afford a lamb, they could bring two doves or they could bring two pigeons. 
Did you notice what Mary and Joseph were carrying in the picture? Two pigeons. So they were poor. So we, we have that, we know that. And Luke actually tells us that, that they actually brought two pigeons to fulfill their, their requirements by the law. So this is what was happening in the video that we just saw. Joseph and Mary were bringing Jesus to the temple, which is the place where the rites of purification were performed. So let's look in Luke chapter 2. We'll start in verse 25. And let's actually read what Luke says about this encounter. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for this encounter with Simeon. Um, and his moment and the fulfillment of a promise. And so many things are wrapped up um, in this little narrative. And Father, next few moments as we unwrap it, uh, Lord, give us insight and wisdom and discernment, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, now, if you're here last week, you know that we've uh, entitled the sermon series uh, the, for the Christmas season, uh, we've called it The Line. As we learned last week, the coming of Jesus changed the world forever. Nothing has been the same since. Um, In fact, we separate time by the birth of Jesus, B.C., A.D. Um, And a line was drawn in the affairs of human history by the life of Jesus. Now, for Christ followers, the impact of Jesus is fairly obvious. I mean, that's, it's, we live our, our life based upon that. And we know we have a restored relationship with God. And we know that the Holy Spirit lives within us. And we, there's, there's so much that we talk about that, the, the benefit and impact for those who follow Jesus and pursue him with their life. But the impact of Jesus has affected everyone on earth. And I use that word intentionally. Everyone on earth, whether they realize it or not. Just, you feel, just consider just some of these things. The value of human life. Most historians agree that the rise of Christianity contributed greatly to the general feeling that human life is valuable and worthy of respect. That's a biblical Christian ideal that has permeated primarily through the West and into other cultures as well. Consider the plight of women. Jesus' teachings on divorce and Paul's advocacy of monogamy began the process of elevating the status of women so that Christian women tended to enjoy greater security and equality than women in surrounding countries. This idea of toleration. Um, Ironic that today Christians are often accused of being intolerant, um, but the idea of toleration 
actually uh, began within Christian realm in response to the Crusades. Within, so we've got the medieval time period, but Christians provided the foundation to the conviction among early Protestants that religious toleration was necessary, that we've got to figure out how to coexist, that we've got to be able to live together and not kill each other. We've got to figure this out. The idea of hospitals comes from Christians. Now, history will show that Rome actually had hospitals that predated Jesus, but they were exclusively military hospitals. They weren't open for the public. And now we know that after the first council of Nicaea, which is in 325, a public hospital was built in every cathedral town throughout Europe. Public hospitals. And these hospitals became pervasive in society at that time. Art. The Renaissance art, such as Raphael, Michelangelo, Da Vinci, Bernini, Botticelli, all were among a multitude of innovators who, who were sponsored by the church. Now, during the Renaissance, artists produced many of the unsurpassed masterpieces of Western art, often inspired by biblical themes. We have Michelangelo's Statue of David. We have Da Vinci's painting of the Last Supper. All of them were Christian in their basis and orientation. Slavery. Now, it's true that in the New Testament, we see that the church initially accepted slavery um, as part of just the culture, the fabric of society. That's just kind of the way things were. But they did focus on humane treatment of slaves. James talks about this extensively, about how you're supposed to be treating them better. Later on, one historian even noted that Christians were the first people in history to oppose slavery systematically. Early Christians purchased slaves in the market simply to set them free. In the 7th century, the Franks, under the influence of their Christian queen, became the first kingdom in history to begin the process of outlawing slavery. And in the 13th century, Thomas Aquinas, again, one of the world's leading theologians at the time, declared slavery a sin. So again, the impetus there. And even, even when we think about social justice today, and even though while many uh, who are advocates of social justice uh, within our culture, even though they probably don't realize it, just the idea of social justice has its roots in the gospel ideal that how we treat one another matters. All of these conditions and so many more, there's so many more things we could talk about. All of these exist today because of one person, Jesus. Jesus was the line by which we mark human history. And Simeon recognized that the baby Jesus was that line. Now, there are a number of takeaways from Simeon's experience that will help us today. I think one is that God is active in the waiting season of our lives. Now, we don't know. We're not told here in Luke's passage when Simeon was promised by the Holy Spirit that he wouldn't die until he saw the Messiah. It could have been the week prior. It could have been 50 years prior. We don't know what that time period was. Could have been days or could have been years. I hate waiting. <laughs> now the thing about waiting is what we're waiting for is usually perceived as better than our current circumstance, right? I'm 12, oh, to be 13, all right? I'm looking forward to something or something better up ahead. Our happiness is contingent upon receiving what we wait for. There's a longing that's there that we want. Now, I'm not suggesting that longing or wanting something better um, or wanting something different is bad. That's not my suggestion here. 
because clearly being healed would definitely be better than living with an illness, right? Being healed is better than living with an illness. And so I'm not suggesting that that desire is bad. What I am pointing out is that waiting often comes with a dissatisfaction of the present. Waiting creates a longing for something better. In verse 26, it says that, And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. So if you're on me any length of time, the question I always ask is, what did that look like? Revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. Did he have a dream? Was it someone who came up to him and said, hey, I think God has told me this, and here's what you should know? I mean, how did he know? What did that look like? And how did he know it was the Holy Spirit? How did he know it just wasn't, you know, just wishful thinking on his own part? My experience has been, and what I've heard from others as well, that hearing from the Lord is rarely this overt sign. There's not this voice from heaven. There's not this handwriting on the wall. It's, it's not someone coming up and telling us, uh, here, you know, thus saith the Lord. More often than not, God's promise is a quiet voice you hear in the depths of your spirit. It's a conviction that you just sense that's happening. It's a promise made by God and given to you. And that's the other thing about waiting. The longer we wait, the harder it is to trust God. We begin to question if God will do what we believe he told us he would do. And we begin to wonder if God is doing anything at all. Simeon was old. We know that from the story. And I imagine, though, that there's many days that he woke up and wondered, is God going to come through? Is this actually going to happen? Maybe I didn't actually hear God. Maybe it was just wishful thinking. Now, we have the advantage of seeing God, that God was active in bringing about the birth of Jesus, even if Simeon couldn't see it. But when you're in the middle of that circumstance, you're in the middle of that situation, you don't know what, how the story's going to end. And we're left with doubt and wondering. So whether it's one week or 50 years, Simeon had been waiting for God to fulfill his promise to him. So I got to ask the question, what are you waiting on God to do for you? Has the waiting caused you to doubt? Doubt yourself, your ability to hear from God, and has it maybe even caused you to doubt God? Is he actually going to act on your behalf? Now, over the years, uh, Betsy and I, we've learned that uh, waiting tends to be a theme in our lives. Unfortunately, um, I remember the first time we had finished uh, seminary, finished graduate school, and was waiting for our ch- first church appointment. That waiting period took two years. Two years of wondering, God, what are you doing? And what are we doing? And how do we? And it was, it was a very, actually, it was a very, very hard, very, very difficult, challenging season. During that time, I couldn't tell you what point in the season was. I came across a book uh, by Ben Patterson. Um, waiting, finding hope when God seems silent. I couldn't tell you about the entire of the book except for one sentence. One sentence made that book worth its entire price. And the sentence was this. Just as important as what we wait for is what we become while we wait. Just as important as what we wait for is what we become while we wait. 
See, we need to know that God doesn't waste periods of waiting. Notice what Simeon said when he held Jesus. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, it's about time. You know, it's like, finally, what took you so long? No, no. Those are, which are comments often made by someone who is impatient with waiting. Notice what he did say. He said, Sovereign Lord, as you've promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Those are the words of someone who is hopeful and is now content. So rather than asking, what are you waiting on God to do for you? Maybe a better question might be, what are you living for? What is the promise God has placed in your heart that causes you to wake up every morning with a sense of expectation? Wondering if maybe today will be the day. Now, I've discovered that the best way to look to the future with hope and expectation is to look back over the course of my life and remember all the times God did what he said he would do. Looking back and seeing God's faithfulness gives us courage to press ahead. His provision in the past gives us hope for the future. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18, it says, The Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show compassion, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. So, if you find yourself in a season of waiting today, wait with hope. Wait with confidence. Wait with expectation. Rest assured that God is active in the waiting season of your life. So another thing we see in the story of Simeon is that Jesus would define a line that would cause the rising and falling of many people. I mean, we think about just two disciples who walked with Jesus. Um, We see Judas and we see Peter. They walked with Jesus every day for three years. One went one way, one went another way. Or two non Christians, if you will, two people who didn't walk with Jesus, we look, uh, but, but who both encountered Jesus. We look at Caiaphas, <clears throat> the high priest, and how he responded and reacted when he encountered Jesus. And then we look at Saul. What happens with him? And again, another high religious official who met and encountered Jesus, and look how he responded so much differently. And the same is true for us today. How do we respond when we encounter Jesus? So the third thing we see in the story of Simeon is that it was a miracle of the incarnation that made way for the price to be paid for our sin at Calvary. Here's the thing. We can't arrive at the cross. We can't make it to the cross unless we have a birth. Birth had to come. Jesus, God, entered the world to bring hope and salvation. But there would be a price. Simeon's comment to Mary was pretty harsh, isn't it? I mean, it's a pretty, not harsh. It's a heavy. It's pretty heavy. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. And we know just the life of Jesus, and we know that Mary was there at his crucifixion, that she experienced and saw firsthand the fulfillment of these words of Simeon. But Simeon said, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. He was now ready to die. 
which is the final point I think we can take away from him, is that you are only able to depart in peace if you've stepped over the line to receive the salvation Jesus provides. So the question we have to ask is, which side of the line are you on? I love how Paul phrased it in Ephesians chapter 2. He said, for he himself, Jesus, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who are near. For through him we have both we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, today as we've come to worship and we've come, Father, to um, lift our voices in song and acknowledge you, Lord, as, uh, you as Lord over all. And as we've taken some time here to look at uh, this incident or this encounter uh, that Simeon had with the infant Jesus, uh, many of us can identify with Simeon, Lord. Many of us are waiting for something. And for many of us, it's, it's not just hopeful, wishful thinking. For some of us, Lord God, there is this conviction that you've made a promise, that there's something in the stillness of our heart that you assured us would come to pass. And so, Father, uh, for some of us, um, this isn't the day that, this may not be the day we've met uh, the infant. This may be the day before. Um, but, Lord, we're weary, we're struggling, and we need help. And uh, So, Father, I pray that you would bring encouragement and, and a reminder. Father, my prayer is that uh, you'd bring what uh, I kind of refer to as road markers. It's not the solution, it's not the ultimate destination, but it lets us know we're on the right path. And it lets us know that you know where we are and that we're okay. And Father, I pray that uh, for those of us who are waiting, that there would be this assurance, a reassurance, Lord God, of your working on our behalf, that you haven't forgotten us, you haven't abandoned us, you know exactly what's going on, and that the provision, the answer is coming. Father, that hope would be restored, hope and expectation. That as we come to this Christmas season, Lord, it's a renewed sense of the vitality of our faith in you. Lord, knowing that we don't just serve you for religious purposes, but that we follow you and pursue you because of who you are and because of your love that you show and give to us so extensively and so completely. So, Lord, we surrender ourselves to you. We have no other option. Lord, we really don't. So we surrender ourselves to you and trust you for all things. And we look to you, Lord God, for your provision, for you, Lord God, to bring us out of where we find ourselves, for you to bring about the fulfillment of your promises to us. So we thank you for Simeon. We thank you, uh, Lord, that we can see that, um, Lord, you are faithful and you are true. That we, may we have the same hope and faith and the same encounter as Simeon had. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.